the fact of the matter is, is we have to figure out what we want to filter in and what we want to allow in and then allow us ourselves the space to figure out what's really important to me. And am I spending my time in a way that moves towards those goals or am I doing things that self-sabotaging those goals? personal ones that I have for myself. And I think then when people start to really ask those questions, at first it becomes uncomfortable because maybe they've never done that before. But once they break through that, it's actually probably one of the most relaxing things you can do. This is Women Killing It. Each week, women who are killing it in their careers share their stories and advice for making it in today's working world. Your host is Sally Hubbard. Today, I'm talking to Anna Homoyun, a teen and millennial expert and the founder of Green Ivy Education Consulting. She's also the author of several books, including one of my personal favorites, The Myth of the Perfect Girl. Anna, I'm so excited to talk to you. You are killing it. Well, thank you so much for having me. Um, I am excited to be there, and I am excited that you like The Myth of the Perfect Girl. That's wonderful. I have to tell you the story behind my finding your book. And it was, you know, my own experience of being a perfectionist my whole life and kind of realizing later in my life that I was kind of caught in an achievement trap and that I didn't think that it served me very well. And so I have a daughter and I want, I was starting to see some of the same tendencies in her that I had growing up. And I really wanted to be proactive about, you know, <laughs> shaking that out of her as soon as possible. <laughs> um, so I found your book and because this, I'm just, you know, full-time working mom with this podcast and a whole bunch of other things going on, I, um, it sat on my bedside table for an entire year. Like it sat there with the intention that I was going to read it and like a stack of books. Is, believe me, I read like no books because I have no time. So um, it was there with the intention to read it. And then one day something just snapped. I was taking my kids to camp and I just grabbed the book and I said, it's a beautiful day. I'm going to the beach and I'm reading this book. <laughs> and I didn't even bring my towel, my sunscreen. I showed up at the beach. I hadn't any food. I <laughs> I dropped the kids off and I was like, cause there's a beach close to my house in Brooklyn that I never go to. And I just, something snapped and I just had to read it. And I sat there and I read it and it, I bought it for my daughter, but so much of it resonated with me and with my current struggles still. And I just like, it just, I was like, oh my God, this is so me. And it actually caused a bit of an identity crisis because I thought to myself, well, if I really have just been striving for this achievement and this external um, measures of, of worth and validation, and I stop doing that, what do I do now? Like, this is what I've, you know, right. it, it's, yeah, you know, it's this true. is what I've always done. How do I stop? No, you know, it's really funny that you say that because one of the most memorable conversations I had was with a mom who emailed me after she read the book. And she said, you know, I read it for my daughter but I saw myself in it and it was really uncomfortable. And I said to her, I wrote back, I said, you know what? I, I felt like I went through adolescence again while writing this book. And that wasn't fun either. <laughs> so um, I completely understand where you're coming from. And I think we need to have more of these uncomfortable conversations about our external validation, our, our need for that. And the achievement culture that we all buy into, because I really wrote this book for three reasons. One, 
I was seeing more and more girls come into my office who had this, you know, great grades, great activities, all these things. And when I asked them what they wanted to do for fun, and I, I, that's the first story in the book, they couldn't tell me. And I was also talking to college student affairs officers who were telling me more and more women were showing up at colleges completely burnt out and overwhelmed. And they were seeing greater mental health issues than they ever had before. And then the final thing was really this concept. There was an article, um, I think it was in Fortune magazine a number of years ago, Why Millennial Women Are Burning Out by 30, some title like that. And at the time, many of my friends were leaving the workforce for a number of reasons. But one of the main reasons was they never figured out what they liked to do because they were always doing what everyone told them they were supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. And so I, I said, well, what if we asked these teenagers earlier and had these questions earlier so that we didn't get to a point where we're like, I'm opting out because I actually don't know what I want to do. Um, and is there a way we can do that? And how, and, you know, so that's the, really the premise of the book. So it's really interesting that you say that. Uh, and I, and I love it because I have so many stacks of books that I want to read too, <laughs> that sometimes you just have to say, I'm cutting everything else out and I'm reading this today. But I love that. I love that. Yeah. I mean, I was literally like, I showed up at the beach. I, for some reason, I was just like, it's a gorgeous day. There's a beach 30 minutes from my house. I never go to it and I'm going to go. And I sat there with a the book and I, I didn't even have a towel to sit on. <laughs> I was like, I'm getting sunburned because I didn't bring sunblock. <laughs> but I, but I, um, I read it and it got me very emotional because I was like, oh my gosh, this is everything that I've done. And the very bizarre thing is that later that same day, I had an episode um, for an interview scheduled with Patty Clark. It was episode 22 of this podcast, and she is the author of a book called This Way Up, and she's been counseling women of all ages throughout her career. But now what she focuses on is what she calls triple empty nesters. And these are women who have, their kids have gone off to college, left or left the home. A lot of them are going through divorce. There's an epidemic of the gray divorce Mm -hmm. and retirement. So they're just completely lost because of that tendency to have everything be about external serving others, external measures of, um, you know, just outward focus and not inward focus, right? So you don't have your kids, you don't have your husband, you don't have your job, like they're just completely lost. And right. she's focusing on that. And it was really crazy that I had that interview with her because her whole point was all about women needing to connect to self, women needing to get in touch with their inner joy, what brings them pleasure, what gives them into a flow, puts them into a flow state of pure, you know, connection to self. And sure. I had just read the book earlier that day and I was like, this just feels like an out-of-body experience because what you're saying is just what I was reading or, you know, very similar to what I was reading earlier about the girls. And Patty said, I'm so happy someone is writing this for girls, you know, because it's ha- it's it starts at girlhood and it persists through middle age where I am now and into the gray years, the older years. It's just this sure. this way of, you know, constantly focusing on the external instead of the internal. Right. And I, I always tell my students and that we all have the answers within us. We just sometimes aren't listening and sometimes we get so caught up and, and now social media 
and, and all of the content that's coming to us at all times. So it's not just media and it's not just all these different forms of connecting and communication because those are very positive things as well. Um, but the fact of the matter is, is we have to figure out what we want to filter in and what we want to allow in and then allow us ourselves the space to figure out what's really important to me. And am I spending my time in a way that moves towards those goals or am I doing things that self-sabotaging those goals, personal ones that I have for myself, right? Um, and I think then when people start to really ask those questions, at first it becomes uncomfortable because maybe they've never done that before. But once they break through that, it's actually probably one of the most relaxing things you can do because then you're not no longer so focused on what other people are thinking. And I will tell you one funny story related to that. I had a young woman, she was probably 26 or 27, and she was meeting me for coffee for some unrelated thing. We had both gone to the same undergraduate institution and she'd moved to town. So I had offered to meet her at a coffee and she brought the book because she had looked me up and she had tabbed and underlined the book because she said, you know, I was just about to go to grad school because I thought it was the next thing I was supposed to be doing. But now I'm totally rethinking what, what I want to do next instead of just doing the next thing, quote unquote, on the checklist. So it's, you know, I hope that it makes people ask good questions that allow them to do what I call designing their own blueprint rather than borrowing someone else's. That's amazing. And that's been a very like constant pattern in this podcast. All the women that I've been interviewing, I've been interviewing women who are doing really amazing things in their career. And I would say at least half of them have told me they were first on some track that they were supposed to be on, that maybe their parents wanted them to be on, or they thought they were supposed to be doing it. And the scariest part was stepping away from that track and, and taking a leap into doing what they had discovered they were passionate about. And some of them discovered their passion later in life. Some of them discovered it early, but just ignored it and didn't think it was a valid path to pursue. Mm-hmm. Um, but then when they finally do actually follow their true, you know, things that truly bring them joy and happiness and pleasure, that's when they really do kill it, right? That's when they do their, achieve the most success, you know, when they leave that financial services job, you know, like I had recently a woman who started her own design firm and she was had a, a, a stable job in financial services, but it was when she jumped away from that and started her own design firm that she really started to excel, like, you know, you know, have huge success. So, I just right. wonder how much this achievement trap is also partly to blame for the achievement gap, at least in the professional world between men and women. You know, you ask a really good question. And, and I have found that, you know, the work I do with teenagers as part of my company, Green Ivy Educational Consulting, is really about asking kids those questions. And what's very cool is that I, we recently celebrated our 15th anniversary So I went back and just sent out Q&As and met with some of my first students who are now in their late 20s. And I can't tell you how many of them, nearly all, are doing something that started out of something they like to do in junior high or high school. So one of the young men has been very successful in corporate communications. He always loved writing. 
Mm-hmm. And never thought he could make a career from it, right? Another woman wrote her college essay on per- being a professional dancer, and that's what she is in New York City. Um, and she just finished touring with a off-Broadway musical. So, like, all of these cool things that could go on and on started out of things they liked to do in high school, but part of it was we were asking those questions early. And that's my whole goal with, you know, the myth of the perfect girl, and my work with boys is that we ask these questions in a way that's purposeful so that we can help kids design their own, whatever it is, or start asking those questions, taking those classes, um, getting those experiences that help them figure out what is it that, that gives them purpose and meaning rather than what job is available on the job board. I mean, I think it's a combination of things, right? We have to be purposeful, but also meaningful and at the same time, realistic. So understanding that even if your dream scenario isn't going to happen right away, there's always things you can do to work towards whatever goals you have. And maybe it's not a career goal, right? Maybe it's a hobby goal. Maybe it's a, what brings purpose or or meaning into your life? Quick question, guys. Have you joined my email community? I share all kinds of tips from the amazing women that I interview on how to kill it in your career. My emails are all about us working together to maximize our career results and our happiness. So we're filling the mentoring gap for women and we are lifting each other up. When you sign up today, I'll send you some awesome emails, including my seven step action plan to killing it. To sign up, just text all one word, killing it to 38470. That's 38470. And the word to text with no spaces is killing it. Now back to the show. Do you find that this um, tendency to, to not be connected to your purpose or to be so focused on checking those boxes of achievement is more prevalent among girls than boys? And if so, why do you think that is? I think that it's prevalent among both, but I think it's different for girls because girls naturally, you know, we can say that there are no differences, but I've found that many times girls are really relationship oriented and they're really pleasers, right? They want to be well liked. They want to have some sort of the relationships. There's an emotional attachment to it, right? And the other thing is, is that when, when I think about healthy risks and I talk about that in the book, I think about the fact that I will see a lot of times where girls will shortchange them, their abilities and versus boys that I work with will be completely fearless about something. Like I'll, I was talking to a girl recently and she was really – you know, um, second guessing her ability to help, you know, build this digital platform for her school. And I, I stopped her and I said, I'm sorry, but would any boy ever think that of their earth's question that way? And she kind of looked at me like, no. And then, uh, you know, it, it, it's interesting. I have this in my own life, so it's not like I'm immune to it. Right. So I am a co-chair for this event, or I was for a couple of years with this wonderful peer of mine, male, and he and I were planning our conference, right? It's a two day event. And so we were thinking of speakers. So we're thinking of these speakers and he says to me, well, why don't we ask 
and the person was a celebrity, really well known. Um, and I, I literally was like, well, why don't we just shoot for the moon? And then the funniest part about this is actually like a friend of a friend of a friend put us in touch and that person ended up being one of our speakers. And I use that example all the time in my own life because I was like, you didn't even put that on the table. It's kind of like how you're not even sitting at the table Mm -hmm. or even asking the question in order Mm -hmm. to get the answer. Does that make sense? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I was like, whenever I have a situation where I feel like I'm selling myself short or not taking that healthy risk, I remember that such scenario because in the end, it was actually my friend who had a connection to that speaker. Um, and I was able to help facilitate that, but I wasn't even thinking that was an option. And I think that is an amazing analogy for the kind of the things that a lot of times girls and young women, they don't even realize they're doing right. Oh yeah. That's actually part of one of the things that inspired me to start this podcast was the job that I'm at now in my regular job um, when not podcasting is I'm an uh, investigative journalist uh, talk writing about antitrust issues and like mergers and acquisitions, things like that. And the company that I've been with for four and a half years is a startup and my bosses are young guys younger than me. And, um, just when I observed the way that they ran things, and it was different than anything I had ever experienced in my previous career as a lawyer, um, in I guess in law firms, maybe they're just a lot more risk averse and whatnot. But watching these guys, I was like, I never would have done it this way, and it's totally working. <laughs> you know, right. they, it's they, high they, risk, high return, right? Yeah, and, yeah. And I don't think that a lot of times, for a number of reasons, girls and women do the same thing. And I'm not saying it's right, it's wrong. I'm just saying high risk, high return. You know, I, again, asking that celebrity speaker, I wouldn't have even gone down that path until somebody else was like, well, why not? Oh, well, good point. We could make that happen, right? Um, And that's the same thing when people are starting businesses, right? So I started my business when I was 21 years old. I will say that I'm very risk averse. And and there's a great new book, by Adam Grant, all about nonconformity. And he says that the best entrepreneurs are actually pretty risk averse, which makes a lot of sense to me, which means that women would be great in many ways as entrepreneurs, but they sometimes they are and sometimes they aren't. So what are the things we can do to encourage that? Because I actually think when we think about women and girls and, and success, that entrepreneurship is the number one way where we can break the glass ceiling and we don't even think about it. Right? Definitely. Cause then you can, um, create your own terms. Right. I mean, I think one of the big problems is that we're operating in a working world that largely has been, you know, built by men, you know, and so a lot of the tr- traditional ma- stereotypically male traits are more rewarded. Right. And there's actually another thing that I've been talking a lot to guests about is some of the kind of superpowers that maybe are more ter- typically feminine that are not really recognized as being, you know, huge assets in the working world. Um, but I think that once you create your own destiny, then you're living on your own terms and you're not living on anybody else's terms. So, um, right. that's, yeah. and that, and that, and, and you become empowered and you're able to problem solve in a way that gives you confidence. I mean, now after 15 years of running a business, I can say, you know, lots of things come my way. Um, great, 
challenging, um, new, different. But more and more when you have different, those things happen, you're like, nothing is the end of the world. And you just have to figure out how you're going to adapt without allowing it to expend too much of energy. So you feel exhausted, if that makes sense, because I talk a lot in the book or in my work in general at schools about this idea of not just focusing on resiliency, because we talk about resiliency a lot when it comes to kids and adults, but this idea of buoyancy, like how fast do you bounce back? How much work does it take for you to bounce back? Are you expending so much energy? And a lot of times, like when you're working with teenage girls, it's all up and down. So it's so exhausting. But Mm -hmm. what if we could help teens and young adults get to a point where they allow to process things, but it doesn't take them so much energy that they're so overwhelmed and exhausted Mm -hmm. whenever something doesn't go as planned? Yeah, I also think this this point you made before about the relationship focus of, of mm-hmm. girls, um, that's something that I know I struggle with. And I see some men and I feel like even their personal relationships, like if things don't go well with a personal relationship, that's like one part, one piece of their life. Right. Whereas I know personally, if something's not going well in a personal relationship, it's really hard for me to be happy or um, clear headed in my, in my work or, you know, it, it's so all in all encompassing for me. And, um, I'm like, could I please stop measuring? Like, I, I I just, I, I do feel that I always have, you know, measured my own value based on how the relationships are going. And I would just like to break away from that. Right. And understand that some things have nothing to do with you. Right. Right. So that's the number one thing I think we can really help girls understand is that Figuring out what's really important to you and how you can be of service and how you can be, have a sense of purpose in the world as a, as a core identity is really important because that's like steel, right? Then, you know, other people can offer their opinions and offer their insight and be helpful actually too, right? Um, And help you see things in a different way or find solutions, but there's not... A situation where if someone doesn't like you or doesn't like what you're doing, that you then start to like devalue yourself right? and make it so it's all encompassing or that it affects you in a way that you can't really control what other people are saying. You can do your best and you can put things forward. But I think that's part of the reason why the myth of the perfect girl resonates with so many people because they're like, oh, what you're talking about, I deal with. And I thought maybe I was the only one. Or maybe it was really uncomfortable and nobody really talks about it. Mm -hmm. But how are the ways that I can, you know, still be true to who I am and not be mean or um, unhelpful, but how can I create my own path for success, whatever that looks like? And so do you have recommendations for how people can tap into kind of what brings them joy? I mean, I know you, you said, um, that the girls would come into your office and they couldn't tell you what brought them joy. And the funny thing was after I was read, read your book and I talked to that woman, Patty Clark, I actually gave a challenge to my listeners and I put it, I did like a video challenge in an episode that was called find your joy. And I said, this is the first step that you have to take. If you're going to kill it in your career, you've got to find out what brings you joy. Just get in touch with it. It could just be for me, I started riding my bike for pleasure, just, you know, just something. And I feel that for especially people, middle-aged women like me, if you're a mother, 
and a wife and, you know, all these things that you literally even more lose touch with your inner self. Like, and when I put that, when I put that uh, post out on social media, I had some people comment that said, I don't even know where to start. I don't even know. I haven't even thought about my own joys, pleasures, wants, needs in so long. I don't even know where to start. The further along you get, the harder it is. And I'll tell you what happened after I did that. Um, I, I challenged those girls. Um, so they went home for the summer and they um, came back at the end. And one mom, actually, the mom was really funny. She called me. She goes, my daughter is so annoyed that you're telling her to figure out what she likes to do for fun. Because she's like, all I wanted to do, mom, is figure out where I'm going to college. I don't need this assignment, whatever. But <laughs> one girl comes back and she goes, you know, I started playing the piano for fun and I really enjoyed it. Like before it was like all about a recital. So I quit cause I just wasn't feeling it wasn't funny. But now I just like, when I want to relax, I spend 25 minutes or 15 minutes just playing the piano for fun. She said, but I also thought I was going to really like baking, but then I realized there's a lot of cleanup involved. So the <laughs> idea of baking was awesome and that's the thing. It's like, it's a trial and error. Mm-hmm. And I think the other thing that we don't allow ourselves to do, and I talk about this in the book is like, you have to just be able to give some things up, right? At different points in your life, what brings you joy is different. Like I am like you, I actually love riding the bike around town. And so uh, when I do just to do errands, it just makes everything more pleasurable, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or I like walking instead of, I, cause I live in a city too. But sometimes I'm like, oh, I don't have time. But really, it would only take me 10 extra minutes. Right. So it's it's really – first, it's identifying, but also it's also experimenting, right? Because you might think, especially if you haven't even thought about this for a long time, that something that you like to do 15, 20 years ago will still bring you joy. And you know what? It might not. <laughs> it just might not. And so figuring that out and it doesn't have to be a grand gesture. I mean, my mom started painting in her fifties because it brought, brings her joy. And so everyone's different though. So she'll just be there for hours and that's her thing. But I think how you start is you start to think about what you like doing when you were a kid mm-hmm. and clearly, or remembering the last time you did, you remember being in joy or in peace or, you know, and when was that? Um, and what did that entail? And then coming up with a list. I also think it's important to talk about what you value. I give, I think an exercise where you look at what are your biggest values and, and what's important to you. And are you like a family is important to you and fun and fitness um, and things that don't begin with the word F are important <laughs> with you to you. What are ways that you're incorporating that into your daily life? And then what are ways that you're moving away from that? So I came up with like my five things that I would love to be able to do every day. One of them is reading. One of them is writing, meditating, um, some form of fitness. Cause I do love to just do something active and, and then, Oh, and, and, cooking like a meal of some sort. And that doesn't, that, that, that doesn't have to be like very advanced in any way. But when I look at that, then it gives me a con- like a concept of how was your day, right? Were you able to do these things that you consider important? And if not, could you turn around your day by incorporating one of those things? It could be as, as easy as meditating for me for five minutes or doing something like that. And if you're able to incorporate those things into your day, do you think that also would translate to 
greater career success? Well, I think a lot of times we forget that some of our greatest ideas come at us in a moment of relaxation, right? And in a moment of rest. I mean, I, I came up with the title, The Myth of the Perfect Girl, on the corner, uh, in uh, on a corner in Soho, actually, <laughs> because I was walking underneath the scaffolding and we needed a title for the book. And I just was playing around words in my head. And I remember being right there coming out of the subway and being like, that's it. That's my book. That's the title. And that's how it happened. <laughs> so we don't realize these things, right? So, and that's an, that, that obviously has a major impact, right? A title of a book. Right. But we don't realize that this is a great title answers. Thank you. Some of those answers don't come until we allow ourselves to be quiet or allow ourselves some silence. And people sometimes always tell me, oh, well, I don't have time for that. Yeah. Um, but, but, and this is what I do with teenage girls all the time. They'll tell me that all the time. I had one girl last year tell me that she was giving up playing the clarinet. She loved playing the clarinet, but because she didn't have time because she was in all these honors classes. And I said, fine, why don't you download the Moment app? So Moment, um, M-O-M-E-N-T app on your phone and figure out how much time you're actually spending on your phone and see if you can find a half an hour of that time to be playing the clarinet. And lo and behold, she was able to do that. Because I think we get stuck in this cycle of we're so busy. We have so much to do. Mm -hmm. But part of that is because we're trying to do too many things at once. And interestingly enough, a lot of times people don't realize how much more effective they are when they do one task at a time. Oh, my God. They think it's not possible. So they don't even give it a try. They're like, I have so much to do. I can't even do one task at a time. Everything that you're saying is so exactly where I am right now. For one thing, um, so I've started, I created the seven steps to killing it action plan. And the first step is find your joy. And anyone who signs up for my email list on my website actually gets the action plan. And the first step is about finding your joy. And uh, I did a big discussion in my emails about the plan, about how to find time for it. And I said, I just took the Facebook app off of my phone and I found I got a 30 minutes more a day to do whatever brings me joy. You know, There you go. It's, it's all about trade, trade-offs. So th- that's what I ask kids to do all the time is think about all how you're spending your time and what are the, the draining experiences, right? So energizing, draining. And energizing experiences are ones that often bring you joy. So if you can trade even 10 or 15 minutes of a draining experience, either by letting go of it completely, like, for example, you taking your Facebook app off your phone or um, by, you know, changing the framework by which you look at it, right? If people are like, I hate exercise, it's the worst 30 minutes of my day. But then I'm like, well, figure out something you like doing, right? Or change your framework about how you approach exercise. Well, I really like being healthy. So, and so that shifts the energy around it. Right. Um, but also figure out where you can buy yourself 15 or 20 minutes time. I do this with kids all the time. And the easiest example that can relate to adults as well is a lot of times kids will say my, my homework is taking me hours to do. I'm so stressed out. I have so much homework. And then I say, well, how many times is your phone within a five foot radius? What do you do when someone texts you? Well, you answer it. And then what do you do? Well, you wait for the reply. So basically, you're still on problem number three of math, but you've had 14 exchanges over text message, right? Yeah. 
So yeah. it's kind of like that where there, there is enough time. We're just trading off things, the quick fixes for the long-term joy. I have also really been trying to stop the multitasking as you, as you have suggested. And, um, I've been setting timers for myself. So my job, I have to do a lot of writing, which, you know, if you keep stopping and starting writing, then you're really going to be counterproductive. So I will set an alarm for myself and I say for the next 40 minutes, I cannot do anything else, but write. I cannot check an email. I cannot go to the bathroom. <laughs> you know, I just have to sit here and do nothing else for 40 minutes. I mean, if obviously if I have to go to the bathroom <laughs> badly, that's one thing, but you know, just these discrete focus times, I find that when I do that, I get more done than if I, if I sat there and kept check, checking my work email and, you know, legitimate things that I have to do, but you know, things that were just making, breaking up my focus and making me less, um, you know, efficient. Yeah. And so I use that. So that's a great um, example. So there's something called the forest app, which um, is like building a digital forest. So you set it for as much time as you want. I usually set it for 25 minutes and then um, as my minimum, and I'll go over when I'm writing sometimes, but 25 minutes is a good place to start. And it says, so that what it does to your phone is it like, doesn't shut it down. But if you try and go on your phone, it says, get back to work or else, else you'll kill the digital tree. <laughs> and I mean, I always say with students, I'm like, okay, well, you might think that the digital tree is like not worthy, but I will tell you that I have gone back to my work. And so it's all about figuring out what works for you, right? The forest app works for me. I've had kids use, um, you know, d different ways of blocking out distractions. But to your point, it is all about blocking out distractions because that 45 minutes to me is the same as two hours with distractions. And what ends up happening back to, you know, what we've been talking about, about figuring out your joy and figuring out your purpose and your, is that when you have that uninterrupted time, the answers come to you a lot re more readily because when you're constantly being interrupted, your brain is shifting between two or three different ideas and you can't really even think clearly. What is your goal? And when you gave those girls the assignment to go find out what brings you happiness and pleasure, like, how do you think that will help them? And just, I know we've talked about this a lot, but just, I really want to drive this point home for our listeners. Yeah, like, yeah. why is it so important for them to be finding their fun and their joy? Like what? Right. And, and, and well, because, you know, that, no, that's a great question because we have found that the most successful people will tell you that what they like to do started out of, or so let me back up. When my first book came out, um, it was that crumpled paper was due last week. It was all about distracted boys. And right after it came out, I met with, I had a coffee with Lisa Belkin, um, who at the time wrote for the New York times. She was the mother load editor back then. And now I believe she's with Yahoo news, but she said something really interesting with to me that stuck. And she said, you know, I've spent my career interviewing people about their, and I have found that the people that are the most successful and the happiest are always say it starts out of something that I really liked doing when I was in middle school or high school or as a kid or some seed was planted then. And when we think about wanting our young women and women to be engaged, active, successful, whatever that means, members of our greater workforce, our communities, our environment, we have to help them figure out what they enjoy doing so that they're engaged in that, right? 
and that they're able to take it to new levels. Like I love my work after 15 years working with teenagers and young adults. I know that's what I'm meant to be doing in some way, shape or form. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter to me that it takes, you know, that, that problems have come up in the way or like things have come up because it's, it's, it's fulfilling a greater purpose and enjoyment for me, like being of service, helping, seeing the difference. And I think if everyone could have that, then they would become that much more engaged in what they want to do. And then it wouldn't really feel like a glass ceiling in the same way. That's and my also, opinion. I think, yeah, that's exactly, I think you're so dead on with that. And also less likely to burn out and less likely to um, spin totally. out of the workforce. So a good, a good example of that is my whole thing is that we need to figure out mini oasis points, like daily opportunities to recharge, weekly opportunities to recharge, monthly, whatever that is for you. So that when I tell teen girls and women, so you're not going, this is what happens to a lot of women is that they go from, to, they go and go and go until they're overwhelmed, burnt out and beyond any natural regrouping where they are, like have to step away because they're so burnt out. But what if we could, you know, make it so it's more of a marathon than a sprint and that there's constant opportunities for recharging. And in doing so, we keep people engaged and doing things so they're not constantly starting and stopping for them themselves, right? For their own enjoyment, for their own pleasure. Because I'll hear now a lot of 20-somethings tell me, oh, well, I worked for two years nonstop, 24-7, so now I'm going to take four months off because I just, I'm so burnt out. And, I, and I've wondered, you know, what can we do to make it so it's not such a start and stop? It's, it's totally fine to take breaks. Absolutely. So that's not what I'm saying at all. And different life circumstances have different issues or opportunities. But what if we, for the people that want to remain engaged, how can we create a situation where they have these opportunities to recharge, refresh, find joy in simpler things. So they're not constantly becoming overwhelmed and stepping away, um, in one way, shape or form. And this is for teenagers as well, right? Again, back to that buoyancy idea, how fast can you bounce back in a way that you allow to process and you're allowed to recharge, but it's not overwhelming you in terms of energy depletion. I mean, I think, oh, so much sense. And I think, you know, these, this problem of overwhelm, it's so sad that it's happening at such a young age now. And I think it's so prevalent and crushing for so many um, working moms. It's just this constant overwhelm, right? And feeling exhausted and burnt out. And you're right. We have to create, we have to create these moments of peace for us, or we're just gonna, (laughs) we're all gonna lose our minds. And back to this point about burnout, though, I often think about this, about girls versus boys, and we see that girls, you know, excel in school, they get the straight A's, and then you come out, and and my, I am an example of this, I got straight A's all the time, I get out into the working world, and I followed, followed the track, I went to law school, I got my A's in law school, you know, get out into the working world, and it's like, wait, I'm just not instantly rewarded for, you know, all these A's that I've had, like, doesn't this translate to success? And I remember that I got out into the working world, and I was already kind of burnt out. That's such an interesting perspective. And I, I don't know, because I think that a lot of times, 
what we need to focus on for girls is that in general is that they don't burn out. Right. Right. And back to that original thing that I was saying about, you know, girls reaching college already burnt out. Right. What student affairs officers were telling me to that point. Um, what are the things that we can help teenage preteen girls do so they're not burnt out so that again, thinking about it like a continuum of a long marathon journey and everyone's journey is their own. Right. So I, I, the other, from the flip side of it, I never want someone to think, Oh, I didn't do well in high school or I, I didn't do as well in college comparatively to my peers. It's all over for me. Cause I right. see that too. A lot of times kids will come into my office and feel they're a sophomore in high school and feel like they have no options. So I always want to say, you know, there's all, you always have options. There's always choices. There's always different habits you can adapt and change. Um, it's never too late. We see that with teenagers. We see that with adults. We see that with older adults. We want to say the same thing in, mm-hmm. in many ways. But oh, yeah. I also think that what's, what's, I mean, even when you think about this idea of killing it, when you think about what are we doing in order to get there and how can we do it so it's easier on us energetically so that we have more energy to devote to the things that are important to us. Right. And what does killing it even mean? And I, I speak about that as well in some of these uh, my, the emails that I send out. Like, what does killing it mean? You have to define it for yourself. And I thought it was really interesting that on your um, the cover of your book, The Myth of the Perfect Girl, you say, helping our daughters find authentic success. And I was really interested in this concept of authentic success. Right. And well, and, and authentic success is whatever you think success is for you. Right. And, and I did put the word authentic there for a reason, because we tend to define success by what other people tell us is successful. Right. And then at some point in our lives, some people have it happen earlier. Some people have it happen later when they realize, Hey, what other people define as successful may or may not correlate with my own version of success. And some of the most success, you know, when you think about what are people most excited about, bring them the most joy, it's often not accolades. It's often not accomplishments for the long term. It's relationships, it's community, it's feeling a part of something, feeling as though you belong, feeling as though you have made a difference um, and had an impact in a positive way. But that's not always like, there's not always a checkbox for that. I think also taking risks. A lot of the people that I've talked to on the show, when I say, what are you proud of? They're proud of the risks that they took to you know, take a big, um, make a big change. Sure. Sure. I agree with that. Um, and I agree. You know, it's funny when I look back, when I started Green Ivy, I was 21. I had just been laid off. I had just barely missed 9-11, all these crazy things that happened at once. And obviously starting using your severance package at 21 to start a business is probably really risky, but it was actually one of the calmest decisions I ever made. And my parents asked me two questions. They were like, can you pay your rent? And do you have health insurance? (laughs) Because two weeks before 9-11, I was living, I was taking the train into the World Trade Center almost every day and my appendix burst. So I had an emergency appendectomy at St. Vincent's Hospital. And so that's why they asked the health insurance question because I had signed up for my work health insurance just like two weeks prior or something. 
So, but my point to that is, is I didn't actually think it was that big of a risk. And I think part of it was because I did it when I was younger, right? As we get older, things seem a lot more risky. If you ask someone who's in their forties to step away and start something from scratch, they may feel like that's way more risky and yeah. they have way more obligations, which is why I'm encouraging people to ask these questions of tween, teen, young adult women earlier because they're, the ability to take healthy risks is, you know, infinite, the risk reward model, you know, it yeah. just, it's more possible in, in many ways. Um, and then you become used to it and it doesn't seem like a risk anymore, right? When I think about all the things I did to start my business and sustain it over 15 years, I'm sure a lot of those things seem very risky, but they just seemed commonplace probably because it was in line with what I felt like my own values were. Yeah, I definitely have that as a regret. I always wanted to be an entrepreneur and I wish that I had done it sooner. And now I just feel like I'm living in Brooklyn. I'm raising kids. My expenses are crazy. You know, it's so much harder. You know, it's and I'm never working, too late. I'm, well, I, I am never very, too late. I know. I'm very fortunate that I've been working with a startup for the last four years and I, you know, was their second hire. So I've had the whole kind of entrepreneurial experience with these guys with that yeah. still within the balance of my comfort um, financially. But I do always recommend also just take those risks when you're young, when you can do it, when you don't have the overhead for sure. Well, Anna, I, I, there's, I have so many more questions to ask you. I feel like I need to have a part two episode with you. But quickly before you go, I do want to hear just a little bit about your new book that's coming out. Sure. Sure. So really quickly, I have a book coming out next year called Social Media Wellness. Um, helping tweens and teens thrive in an unbalanced digital world. And it came out of my experiences. So my office is in the heart of the Silicon Valley. When I started my book or my work, Green Ivy, there was no Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, Snapchat, Instagram, Musical.ly. Um, And really, I noticed dramatically how things shifted for my students in terms of distractions, in terms of workflow, in terms of how they manage stress. And and so social media wellness is all about how can we help our youngest generation um, with their own wellness in a world that's always on. And it's not, you know, one of the things I always say about it is like, I am not anti-social media. In fact, I think there are so many wonderful things we get in terms of connections. And I talk about some of those positive things, but really it's all about what are the things that we can do to help this generation understand the language they're speaking today that is different from our generation's language. I mean, you could probably, if you're over 35, you probably never were broken up with by text um, for your high school prom. And then everyone found out you were single when you're, boyfriend changed the relationship status on Facebook, which is what happened to one of my students about 10 years ago. So anyways, so it's, it's a fun book. Um, and it, and it's really like, it sort of takes through what's been happening for kids for over the last 10 to 12 years and where they are today. 
I definitely want to read that as a mother because I'm finding the whole selfie culture very terrifying as well, <laughs> especially for girls. You know, I just, I, you know, I already think there's way too much emphasis on looks and appearance and superficial things. And then this whole, like, I have to be constantly photographing myself and blasting it out to social media is just so distressing to me. <laughs> so I definitely want to read it as a, as a mother and figuring out how to help my daughter navigate that landscape for sure. Well, Anna, this has been so amazing. I have so, I, I need to reread all your fun. books. Thank you. No, thank you um, for having me. And if people want to check you out, what's the best place on the web for them to go um, to sure. learn more about you? Um, my website, Anna Hamoyan. So it's A-N-A-H-O-M-A-Y-O-U-N.com is probably the best way. And that's where we keep everything up to date. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. If you enjoyed this show, please subscribe to our podcast, rate and review us on iTunes, and most importantly, tell a friend about us. Thanks for joining us.